Welcome to Business Leaders Podcast. We're here live in Rare Petro's office in Golden, Colorado. I'm your host, Bob Rourke, and today on Business Leaders Podcast, we interview some of the best and brightest business owners and entrepreneurs in and around the state of Colorado. We talk about the ins and outs of running a business and being an entrepreneur. Think of this as your back-of-the-napkin MBA that doesn't cost you tens of thousands of dollars in tuition, taught by the top business leaders and entrepreneurs in the state of Colorado, the folks that are doing it, not talking about it, every day. We talk about what to do, and as importantly, what not to do about growing, running, or starting a business. Anthony McDaniels is the founder of Rare Petro. Rare Petro is engaged in creating oil and gas mobile and cloud-based app technologies, along with providing petroleum engineering and consulting services. Founded in 2015, Rare Petro is designed to be the future of oil and gas technical firms. Its main mission is to work towards modernizing the industry by using and leveraging technology to drive efficiency and improvement. They also offer traditional technical consulting services with a focus of being more cost-effective. Anthony, it's a pleasure to have you on Business Leaders Podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. You know, as we were talking before, uh, how in the world did you get started with Rare Petra? For a long time, I knew that at some point I wanted to start a business of some variety in the oil industry. Um, What I didn't know back in college 10, 15 years ago, uh, I didn't know what that would look like. Um, So I started out in the industry working a little more than 10 years ago. And had a good job, was working through a boom, basically. But always knew that the industry was cyclical by nature and that the boom wouldn't last forever. So um, started investing in, you know, rental properties and, and so on and so forth. And try to, try to kind of practice a little bit, if you will, and, and get some, some things going that would help, I guess, soften the blow when and if I needed to make a jump into business for myself. So after a number of years of that, two and a half years ago, it was announced that the company I was working for full-time in Denver at the time was shutting down their offices in Denver and people were either getting packages or severance or relocation. Um, you know, severance was was my end on that, and I didn't want to leave the area anyway. And so basically just took the last so many years of investments and rental properties and the severance package and and went out and um, basically said, well, now is the time to start something, early 30s. You got some experience under your belt, but you've also got the timeline and the energy needed to recoup if you make a drastic mistake. <laughs> um, I have some kids and my wife and I have three daughters, five, three, and one. So you're not sleeping yet. I sleep all right. The family is pretty well balanced. <laughs> I don't know how it's possible. You're a lucky man. <laughs> yeah. But it was kind of weird because, you know, when I started, I, I had a consulting project pretty much Uh, My pay went through the end of June 2015. Mm -hmm. And then starting July 1st, I had a consulting contract start. You know, before you started your company, you studied at Mines, correct? Yes. What was your degree? Petroleum engineering. Okay. And so for you in corporate America, what was your final role in corporate America? 
Um, senior production completions engineer. Okay. Yeah. And, and I have, for the guy that doesn't know what com, what that means, what does that mean? Basically, figure out how to finish the well so that it's ready to produce for the next thirty years, and then figure out how to produce it over that thirty-year period. Okay. And so that's essentially it. Um, but I also knew that being a business leader and being a senior technical person didn't exactly, they weren't the same paths. You know, they, they were different paths. So I didn't find the injection in my life at 33 of, hey, you know, you're not a senior engineer anymore. You, you know, sorry. I could have got another job somewhere else probably um, after six to 12 months, but decided try and do things on my own. Leverage my technical knowledge and my experience to start with consulting. And I uh, was able to get that going pretty much right off the bat. It was a small contract with a, a company out of California that I'd known for some years. Um, and it just kind of grew. I mean, really was just me in my basement two and a half years ago. And now we have pretty much an entire office suite here in downtown Golden and four or five full-time people. And it's evolved much beyond just consulting. Um, but I wouldn't say that it was a difficult transition for me per se uh, to go from being a W-2 employee to being a business owner because my wife and I were kind of planning that trajectory uh, years in advance. Mm -hmm. uh, preparation goes a long way. <laughs> An ounce of preparation is worth 10 pounds of a reaction. So um, there's a lot of truth to that. You know, by doing some things before you need them, taking the risk of a small amount of money to go learn how to invest in something, go to a seminar even, read some books, invest your time, buy a rental house or two, or learn about how to do stock investing on your own, not relying on a financial advisor. Those things are very valuable. And, and the problem I think most people have when they go into business, it's very, maybe more dramatic than it needs to be. Uh, it's dramatic for a lot of people, I think, because they're thrust into this and they adapt well, but they weren't suited for it. There was a mixture of luck and tenacity, but you can do a lot for yourself. If you know you want to start a business or have a business one day, don't wait until that demarcation point in your career. You can do little things well in advance of that to help prepare you, increase your financial IQ, increase your network of people that you know quality advisors, CPAs, attorneys. This is a lot of stuff can be done years in advance. And uh, for me and my wife, softened the blow significantly. Uh, the blow isn't so much a financial. That's one part. The blow is that most people get a psychological because they've gone from being told pretty much everything to do on a day-to-day -day basis, you know, um, to now they got to figure everything out on their own to have their own business. So, for, you know, for the folks... In a thumbnail sketch, what does Rare Petro do for its customers? So what Rare Petro does for its customers is it provides a little more modern spin on consulting, and we provide modern technology applications. So I met a programmer two years ago after I'd been consulting for about six months, and I said, hey, you know, let's put a slide rule on a phone. It was meant to be a differentiator. I was a young 30s consultant. I had to differentiate myself. That was the intent. We did a couple more of those um, slide rule reference apps, put them on the app stores and realized, you know, we could really develop some effective 
nice to use, not too expensive tools of all varieties between cloud-based platforms, uh, mobile devices, you know, helping anything from here's a simple slide rule reference to here I, I need to log in and I need to see what's happening with this well. Um, if from anywhere you have internet, not just at your terminal with the software package on it. Um, there's so much that we try to offer. It's not so much trying to be a jack of all trades. It's not trying to have 20 different products out there. It's trying to develop a brand of products. And that brand being, these are going to be easy to use, effective tools. Um, whether it's a cloud-based platform for decline curve analysis, there will be further and further additions to that platform over the near future and in, well, perpetuity probably as long as we're around. Uh, you know, there's so many little things. Most people, this is what I realized in my career as an engineer in the oil industry. I would have a software package that had, I mean, you'd have to go to a week-long course to learn how to use the thing. Mm -hmm. And I'd only use 10% of it and 90% of the people using it would only use 10% of it. You're paying an outrageous fee. And, you know, you'll, you really just need it for one or two key things. Why does it have to be so complicated and expensive and difficult to use? So really what we're designing now is tools that I wanted when I was an engineer in the industry. We have a lot of industry experience at Rare Petro. Almost 150 years of industry experience in Rare Petro. We have some 30 to 40 year experienced advisors that are excited about what we're doing. We have advisors who are field background, engineering background, regulatory background, and they see the potential of what this could be just by providing slim, easy, effective solutions. You know, when thinking about that as, as an entrepreneur and, and you have depth of knowledge in your, your space, you, you go from a thought, I think that this would be a useful app. What's that crossover point from thinking to doing that happens when you want to take and come out with a new app? Do you have customers ask you for it? Or is it just from feedback in your staff? Yeah, it's, uh, it's a myriad of things. So basically, I, we get, you know, maybe somebody comes to one of our booth events that we're at or maybe somebody just reaches out to us those all these ideas do this and that in conversations with my partners we basically always figure out a way to uniquely risk rank what we're going to do and you want to be market driven you don't want to put yourself in a box and think oh i've got the answer you want something out there saying no i need this solution because then you know once you develop it you have your first customer lined up which is so you're reaching critical. for the pain point. Yeah, we're reaching for the pain points. But the other thing is there are some projects that come across our table that we could turn them out, like let's say a simple animation for a customer. You know, put it on an app on a phone so they can show other people, help them get their sales. You know, that's the kind of project that I wouldn't say is our specialty, but it's so low risk to us. It's such a quick turnaround and it's just that extra thing that we can provide. It's not, unfortunately, at least from what I've seen, it's not a cut and dried approach of we'll only take suggestions from prospective customers or we won't take our own ideas and grow them. Um, what I would say is 
there is a kind of at a higher strategy level. What we actually are trying to do is have three to five projects working at any one time. Mm-hmm. Reason being is twofold. One, it's risk mitigation. Statistically, not every project way of working is going to go. So we got to put our eggs in more than one basket. But the other end of why three to five is if you have more than that, you dilute yourself and you can't give any one thing the kind of attention it needs. So a lot of companies, and we've gone through a startup accelerator program, you know, there's a lot of talking about minimum viable product. Mm-hmm. You know, what's the one widget you're going to sell? What's the one product you're going to sell? You know, most companies that are startups are product companies or, or specific service. Um, and that's a lot easier to define. There are very few companies out there and they take a little longer to really mature into themselves. But there are companies out there also known as brand companies. Uh, for example, Nike is a brand. Reebok is a shoe. Mm-hmm. You know, you'll buy a shirt that has a Nike swoosh because you know what it means. As weird as it may sound to be in the non-consumer sector in an oil industry, we're actually trying to be a, a brand recognition, not a product recognition. So the brand being the actual goal, as crazy as it might sound, is that over time, when somebody in the oil industry sees that rare Petro logo, they'll be thinking similarly to what a consumer thinks when they see that Apple logo on a back. They, they just know what that generally represents for the kind of product they're getting. When you're trying to grow a brand and you're trying to kind of get market feedback and which projects are going to happen, you just kind of end up in this, well, we're going to try to work three to five things at a time. And Brand adds a level of difficulty too because you need to, what we're doing is we're creating products, whether it's an app on a phone or a cloud-based software that you'll pull up from your computer with your internet. To the user, they might look like different products, but we're actually developing these things so that they'll work within an ecosystem with each other. Solutions. Mm -hmm. I think it's very risky to put all your eggs in one basket. And usually what happens from what I've seen is if you have one really, really good idea and you're able to execute and it's really popular, you can easily get pigeonholed into, Mm -hmm. that's just what you do. You guys are the decline curve guys. And that's the only thing anybody's gonna know you for. And it'll be, if that's all you focus on, you might be able to monetize that a little quicker, but then that's all you got. And now you're constantly worried about your competitors. Who's going to come take you? Who's, yeah. yeah. And for the folks that don't know what a decline curve analysis is, what's the short version of a decline curve analysis? The short version is wells come on production when they're first and they're, when they're new, when they're born, basically. And they produce really, really high rates and then they decline over time. The energy gets drained out as you pull the stuff out of the ground. And so what you're doing is after you have a trend of data that's declining, you'd basically draw a line through that data and you project that out into the future. You're projecting that out with a mathematical equation that fits the early time. And that gives you an idea, how many barrels will I produce from this well? Before it gets not profitable. Before it gets not profitable. And how many barrels you get from the well and at how quickly you get them from the well impact how much money can I spend to drill another well? Mm -hmm. How much money can I spend to extract this stuff out of the well? 
And that, that goes all the way through the entire field. That goes everywhere. That goes everywhere. I mean, decline curve analysis might sound a little esoteric, not well known, but essentially is one of the key things behind a lot of the valuations that banks give oil companies, a lot of the valuations that public shareholders give oil companies, a lot of the valuations that even private oil companies get subjected to, well, how much do you have to produce? You know, today's production is cash flow, and that's king. You got to have it. But you need to know, is this company going to run out of production next year? Because it, because it's declining all the time. So if you don't do those analysis, then you don't know the company that makes 100,000 barrels a day today. What if you found out that in two years, they're only going to be making 30,000 barrels? Yeah, so they have to drill. They have to drill a lot, and that definitely affects valuation at all levels. You know, I, I think about, you know, drilling down into, and that's that's the segment. We're going to do in the drill down side. So let's say that I'm out in the energy space, oil field space, and I'm, I'm a potential client or business owner listening to this podcast. How would they know that you could help, and how would they start that dialogue with you? Well, the easiest way would be to just go to our website, rarepetro.com. You could also call us at uh, 720-772-7371, or you could contact us at rarepetro.com is also on our, on our website. Um, but uh, the, the way that we would help out, it may, my, between myself and the advisors we have in consulting, we can kind of help people anywhere from some technical due diligence on acquiring a, a, an oil field all the way to suggestions on how to develop and operate and value that oil field um, as you continue to go beyond just getting it and then maybe you need to produce it. And then from the technology side, what we have found is that between offering consulting services and technology services and products, it's actually extremely synergistic because you end up helping a customer today on what they, maybe they just need some expertise, but then they get to know you and you get to know them and you get to see the things that they actually need. It's not really, you're trying to sell them up something. You're working with them. You're consulting for them. This is a much easier business transaction to start because people understand consulting and what it's going to give them. Yeah, the oil field has a, a long history of consulting. Yes, yes, yes. So it's much easier. Once somebody knows somebody's background, consulting is a pretty easy thing to get started for somebody. Um, okay, yeah, you do have the background. You can metal, give me some advice. But then you get to know what their business needs and pain points really are. And you can actually casually suggest, so you know, it would help the production operations a lot if you had a cleaner way to get this data and make sure it was right, you know, enter a potential technology solution. And unlike a lot of software products and technology solutions that have been in and currently are in the industry, you kind of have this dichotomy. You have these software products that are 20, 30 years old in their platform. They were, they're not the best products. They're clunky, they're expensive, but they were, they've been used a long time because essentially all the technology companies on the other side, that for Silicon Valley, for example, they understand how to make an amazing software, but they don't understand what it needs to essentially do, what you it needs to, to be focused on. You have to on. be from the business. You do, you do. We're, we're actually, I'm kind of, 
I'm kind of thinking that what is happening with what we're trying to do is going to be a bigger shift, not just in this industry, but other industries. Because 40 years ago, technology was all centered around business. The people that saw the wave of consumers as the next wave, Microsoft, Apple, guess what? Look what they turned into. Now we have all these wonderful technology products for consumers, right? You want a coupon app? There's 30 of them out there. You want a game? God knows how many they're out there. A lot of them are free too. You know, I mean, it's just amazing how many things you got out there. And you got all these people playing with, you know, open source hardware, platforms, you know, robotics, drones, hobbyists, you know, making apps. And it, it's all, what if you take that and direct that towards industry use? I honestly think that one of the biggest next ways for tech is what I would consider industrial technology companies, companies that under the same roof have the ability to understand the industry they're supporting because of the experience and can develop in-house the products to meet those needs. Right. Yeah, there's a, a huge difference between data and intel. Yes. You know, and so if you can take and make that employee where they're doing the intel space instead of just the data massage. Yeah. Software is well suited. Yeah. You know, and as I think about that, and in your company, you promote a culture of service and technological um, applications to solve problems. How do you maintain and transmit culture within your business? So basically, it all comes down to focus on what matters, right? Um, you want to be a modern company, you got to be modern in as many possible ways as you can. Take the best pieces from before the 21st century, like having a central place, like an office space where people can all convene. But leave out the stuff that really isn't of value anymore. You know, it wasn't all that long ago where, yeah, you had to be in the same chair every day, you know, regimented schedule. Punch in, punch out. Punch in, punch out, because people needed to know how to get a hold of you, where to find you. Well, with smartphones now, the whole game's different, right? So if you want to be modern, you got to embrace that. It doesn't mean you just have people come and go and you never know where anybody's at. But what it means is you just say, look, this is the deadline I need this app done. This is the deadline I need this draft done. Get it done. And I don't really care how or where you do it as long as it's done. Um, and there's something there, too, that... You can't just go super, you know, startup tech, you know, in my opinion, so crazy where, you know, you just got people skateboarding up and down the hall. Well, that, yeah, but you're an engineer. I'm an engineer. <laughs> Skateboarding's out. Yeah, no, skate. No, no, you, you focus on what matters. Focus on the work. You know, I mean, if it, if it helps to accomplish the project – for me to provide a log me in account to one of my associates so they can get on their computer remotely from home and leverage some of the software here, I'll do it. Um, if it helps to provide them a couple of sandwiches a week so they don't feel like they got to choose between being hungry or leaving and out of a good zone to go out and get food, I'll do it. Because to me, it's I'm trying to produce productivity. Everything's about productivity. It's not about hours punched. It's not about what benefits you do or don't offer. It's about what helps develop productivity and ingenuity. Because generally, ingenuity, creative thinking, it cannot be forced. 
it cannot be dictated. It, it only comes from when, from my belief, true creativity and ingenuity does not come from a situation where you feel like you're managing a work-life balance. You just got to live and enjoy what you do. Hopefully what you do and what you enjoy doing is productive. At least one of the things you enjoy doing is productive. That way you can just, you know, kind of get stuff knocked out and get a good quality work done. You know, some people need 40 hours a week to go through all the little on every project. Other people do bursts. You know, as you talk about that and and you have a series of of experts inside the firm and you have a stable of experts outside the firm. And one of the keys is key personnel or you know keeping talent. Mm-hmm. You know, from your company's perspective, what do you do to to attract and and retain key personnel? People is uniform in every business. Uh, that is probably the most challenging part, I would say, of most every business. Is uh, even if you're just producing oil out of the ground, you still need people to help you do it, right? Even if you're not selling products to a retail sector customer you're still needing to deal with people, right? Um, so my wife and I have other businesses. Like she has some retail stores. Um, and uh, she, you know, we learn a lot off of each other and we try a lot of things. And And she has some experience in dealing with rental management too and placing tenants. And one thing that's generally, this would be my, I guess, two bits on how to, how to get the right people on the bus, as Jim Collins would say. You need to figure out what metrics are important or critical to you, and you need to have the patience to, f- to wait for the type of people that, that cross those hurdles. For example, if you need somebody who can show you they can do a follow-through without knowing the result, pretty important in a startup company, right? Then you ask them to submit something to you before they know if they're going to even get the job or not. This isn't asking for free work now. This is just seeing, can you follow simple instructions? There's other things you can do where you vet them out for a period of time. Bring them on as a contractor for a little bit. Try them out. Let them try you out. And don't forget, this is a two-way street. You're not just trying them out. They're trying you out. We want to make sure that that mix is really well. Um, so what ends up happening is it's a lot easier fundamentally to say, oh, I'll just put a job up that'll pay $100,000 a year. I'm going to get 20 applicants in a week. I'm going to have as many interviews as I want out of that pool. And, you know, that's relatively easy to find people who want to interview for high-paying jobs. But regardless of what you can or will pay, there's nothing like having people in your company who are literally there because they like being there. And one of the best ways to figure out if somebody just generally likes being there is to see if they're willing to put out some effort for what would be normally considered not really great pay, fair pay, but not great pay, and just see what they think about it, see what they think about that. That's how I've done it. That's how I have attracted the right people on the bus is because I'm a startup, self-funded so far, and I basically want people that are willing to worry about the future potential more than what they get today. So starting from the basement and yeah. now that you're in your office here, there's that top line revenue. Yeah. So for you, when you were looking out as you started, what were your thoughts 
about growing top line revenue? What was your strategy? Multiple prongs. Yes. You don't want one strategy and you don't want one tactic. You want, as I've said to some people, put as many irons in the fire as you can simultaneously so long as they do not compromise each other. You want them to actually reinforce each other. So what do I mean by that? As an example, I had consulting contracts that were in play before I started growing the technology firm. The revenue from consulting has helped float the negative cash flow of starting up a technology company. You know, let me interrupt just a sec. So let's say I'm, I'm the person out there and I'm working for a company and I can see that my job may be tenuous at some point. While you were working, what did you do to cultivate those potential future clients if you left? What's a good strategy? Reach out before you need them. Plant seeds. It's amazing. I had my first consulting contract literally the following day after my paycheck stopped because before that, I had already reached out to some people and said, you know, I'm thinking about going into business for myself, which I was before the severance. You know, would you be open to having an arrangement with me? How would that look? You don't ever want to wait until you need something to go get it because what usually happens is you're going to pay too much. You're not going to get what you need. That's not good stuff. Oh, and human network is very, very important. Probably the most important capital anybody has. Do not fall into the rut. And there are many books that say this. And I, I can tell you they're right. You want to keep professional contacts up. Do not quit. Do not leave one job position and go to the next and not at least make an effort to stay in contact with people you worked with. You know, I, I think about that. You know, one of the things we obviously want to make sure is that they don't violate an employment contract by yeah. reaching out. But I think, you know, staying in contact. Staying with, in contact. That's what you do. You know, and, and offer value and stay in touch and please and thank you like mom told you. Yeah. You know, and stay in touch. As, as a strategy. Yeah. You know, I, I, you know, it just, I think for, for the entrepreneur out there going like, well, I might be in that boat. What do I start thinking about? Yeah. If, if there was one book that you read or two books or so that were influential in that transition period, do you mind sharing what those might've been? Well, I kind of went on a deluge of books for a number of years, so I'm going to have to break it out into series for you. <laughs> um, no, I, I, here's a, here's a free piece of it. Audible. I got an Audible subscription five or six years ago. You know, you get an audio book once a month. I would just listen to the books on my commute, right? And so I would just chewing books up, over 100 books. Um, but the, the, I would say that what stands out the top out of all of that is, um, I think, the Robert Kiyosaki, the Rich Dad series books, they're as good a starting point as any. Um, another, another real good one is, um, you know, Think and Grow Rich, mm -hmm. you know, and all, all that Napoleon series, Hill. all the Napoleon Hill series stuff. I mean, he wrote that during the Great Depression, you know, Think and Grow Rich. The Napoleon Hill series books, and um, there's, a, there's a short number of series on that. And then, you know, generally, you know, there's always a couple of good books from the, uh, the Jim Collins of the world and those types of characters. Mm -hmm. I would just say... You know, what usually happened is I'd read one book and I they would reference three others, you know. So so then you would go take those notes down and try to get to one at least in the next whatever. Um, and and then and then I would give another another piece of advice. Read 
books by people you respect out of history, um, you will be those who you follow and who you try to emulate is going to be who you are paying attention to. So autobiographies by Benjamin Franklin, for example, could be, I mean, there's a lot, I mean, read books written by people that are, that did great things, at least in your opinion. Um, so that's kind of what I would say, you know, you got a kind of the Kiyosaki series, you've got the Napoleon Hill series, and then you've got, you know, people who you respect that you are aware of either in current times or in history and read their works. Yeah. The principles seem to endure. Yeah. The principles always endure and it all comes from within your attitude about your life will shape what your life ends up being. You get to choose. Yeah, you do. You do. And, and usually what happens is it's the small things. The small things, do you follow up on little things you tell yourself that you promise yourself? That turns into bigger things and bigger you things. You know, taking action. Yeah. Taking action, doing what you say. Yeah. You know, it's not what you say, it's what you do. Yeah, exactly. You know, and I think about that. Speaking of saying and doing, uh, I was looking at your website before we came here today, and you have a rare Petro podcast yeah. that you just launched. Yes. What's the story behind your podcast? So we've been putting out news pulses. Uh, this was kind of an idea to provide knowledge. You know, over a year ago, we started putting out once per month a two or three page summary of each major oil and gas basin. Um, and then one of our associates here said, you know, I'd really like it if I could just listen to those as opposed to have to read those. So he says, can we start a podcast? I'm like, well, yeah, sure. Let's start a podcast. So you can get the news then that we're putting out in an audio format as opposed to sitting and reading it. Well, that's a pretty good idea. Well, we took it a step further and we're also going to be putting on interviews from high level people in the industry, CEOs, academic dignitaries in the industry, uh, you know, high level people. We're going to be doing interviews. We actually have our first one done up today. Awesome. Uh, we're going to be doing our second one tomorrow. And uh, so we're going to be looking to provide content to people so that they can kind of stay current with trends of what's going on in the major basins, high-level news, and also kind of listen to, I mean, really kind of an expansion on this right here, but all oil field focused, you know, mm -hmm. hey, let's talk to the people who've started companies and built academic programs and been all over the world. Um, let's get it from their mouth, you know, 20 to 40 minutes of recorded content. And, you know, you know I, I think about the guys that are commuting in, the, in this energy space. Yeah. There's some lengthy commutes involved in some of those folks. And I there think are. about as you're in the field or where you're going, the ability to garner knowledge that may impact a current problem you're facing. Yeah. You know, and as a value add, I think that's extraordinary. Yeah. Well, Anthony, thanks again for coming on Business Leaders Podcast. I sincerely appreciate it. Right. Super.